Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. We have such sights to show you. Strange eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hey, howdy. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. I'm Kelly. Hey, guys. I kind of hinted at it, but I'd like to tell you where I'm sitting with my new um, neighbors. Yeah. yeah we're, I keep waiting to find out if I have a new address to drive to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not 100% sure, but I think I'm staying here for now. Um, what, what it turned out happened was... Uh, so you know how big my place is. Yes. Now, at a T angle to this is another place as big as this that uh, the guy moved out. And instead of renting to uh, just another renter, they rented it out to something called Cocoon House, which takes care of um, at-risk teens or homeless teens. I am not, um, I'm not immune to the plight of young kids sure sure but it seemed that perhaps what what had moved in next to me were three or four unsupervised teenagers <laughs> <laughs> and uh and they were very loud and they were doing some uncomfortable things in fact one of them ran past my window here and you realize that i live on top of the roof basically which meant <laughs> they were just running on the roof for whatever reason and when i yeah, like on tar paper, not like the, it's not like a roof you're supposed to oh, be you've on. You've got a no, garden not, space out there. It's not like or a roof deck. <laughs> it is an actual roof. And uh, when I challenged them as to what was going <laughs> on, um, they seemed like they were having a good time. But the girl then told me she was running from her abusive boyfriend. Oh my god! And I thought, hmm, okay, I've had about enough of this. So I called <laughs> up the property manager and told her what was going on. She was horrified and very apologetic. And they got those kids out. They put some new lovely people in here. Um, very loud. The the young woman was very very loud. And her boyfriend Stan, or as she liked to call him, fucking Stan, or <laughs> fuck you Stan, <laughs> or get out of my fucking house Stan. Wow. Sure. Man, her and Stan don't sound like they have a stable foundation. No, you know? and she <laughs> clearly had some anger issues. She was screaming a lot of the time. Oh uh, she had three very favorite catchphrases. One of them is, where's my fucking phone charger? Sometimes followed <laughs> by Stan. <laughs> um, where's my fucking phone? Yeah. And oh, the third one, which I heard most of the time was, I'm about to lose my shit. Well, about <laughs> at uh, wow, Damn. you should have just left outside her door like just a phone charger. Well, <laughs> here, the, let's the stop hearing about it. Of this one was at about one forty-five a.m. a couple nights ago. I heard I'm about to lose my fucking shit. Uh, and when I say I heard, I mean I woke to. Oh my god! And um, wow. I then opened my window, which faces her window, and I said, "Hey." I know you probably have never lived in an apartment before, but other people live in here. I get up really early. You can't do this anymore. And she was very, very apologetic. Oh, oh nice. And then after that, she was gone. So I, my assumption is they have three or four 
kids living in there. And maybe the other kids even said, hey, we can't have this person in here. This is very disruptive. Yeah. And she's going to ruin on this for all of Poor us. Poor Stan. He's probably like just, you know, some kid. Yeah, he's some kid. I, I got a good look at Stan. Oh, okay. I'm happy to see him gone. I'd like to see all these people gone because I don't like parking my BMW right in front of this place that has become homeless central, quite yeah. honestly. And anyone who wants to just... um Take, whatever. take out whatever grievance they have on the old guy who's living here has access to my car. So I'm, I'm not loving that. But mm-hmm. it does seem to have calmed down a bit with uh, with the removal of that lady. And I do hear uh, a couple of guys talking when I'm in front of the building because they've got their windows open there. But the other windows that face the the alley or not the alley, but the roof seem to have been made off limits to them. I would think, too, it would be great if you because. I'm sure there are plenty of people in those situations that want a chance to change their life and move forward sure. and want to take responsibility. And are so happy for like a dry yeah, like, place with electricity. Let's work towards Cocoon House, work towards getting people that are really moving forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, help and, them. and hopefully that's what's going on. That did not seem to be what was going on earlier when, uh, you know, my sister came to pick me up for a family thing and, and she was just like, horrified she called me and she's like i'm not i'm not coming up to your place what's going on and i'm like what do you mean what's going on and there were just a bunch of um very homeless looking people milling about outside the building wow and it was like wow okay well this has turned into kind of the new homeless shelter i guess and that's uncomfortable especially for the other tenants of the building the downstairs people who think my name is uh Casey, Casey. They're, they're nurses at the hospital. Oh my god. Um yeah. the gal who lives right up here next to me on this other side is just a you know, a young, I don't know, twenty something girl. And I'm like, oh, this place is a little shady anyway, but when you've got to walk through a bunch of of very loud homeless men to get to your apartment now, I feel uncomfortable for her. So it is really unfortunate. And it's like you know, you want these kinds of programs to succeed, but at the end of the day, it's probably a very selfish reason that that's happened because they're probably getting some tax write-off to turn it into oh, a cocoon the, house. The people that own the house, yeah, building? that own the building, or you well, know, yeah, I know exactly or, that that's what happened yeah. here, and they had big plans, you know, to change that downstairs area into all sorts of retail space and all that stuff, and then of course, all of the pandemic stuff stopped anything sure. from happening, but. But then deciding that you were going to rent out to this kind of kills any retail from wanting to get down there now. And so instead of the whole idea of maybe revitalizing this part of Everett, uh, this this owner has kind of become responsible for turning it into uh, a much darker part of Everett. Let's hope that phases. My only concern for you is that, like, what if it's a rotating set of teams? It is a rotating so you're you probably going to get my, more You understand my discomfort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like this week it's fine, but then next week, God knows, you've, you've only had one good week out of this so far. Thank you for seeing me, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I've concerned for you. I've been trying to explain you. this to the property manager. <laughs> and I'll write a letter. Thank you. <laughs> And like I said, I, I'm not against helping out kids. And I understand family life can be tough and, and everybody needs a break and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there also comes a limit as to what I'm comfortable with. And I think I told you, I've got this weird 
door that connects my unit with that unit over there. And it's mm -hmm. been locked. It's been uh, all sorts of precautions have been taken so that that door could never be opened between the two units. It's just the way this old building was set up. But yeah. it still looks like a door. <laughs> yes. <So. laughs> and it has a doorknob on it. And I first lost my shit when at about 1030 at night, I was like, what is that noise I'm hearing? Oh, it was that door handle being tried. Oh, God. <laughs> so they yeah. got to then hear... Um, Vanessa, you've never been on the receiving end of this. I don't think you're always so chill, but I can be a bit of an asshole <laughs> <laughs> and I have a big booming voice from yeah. performing on stage for a while. And, uh, <laughs> I was not afraid to use it when I said, get the fuck away from that door, you little shit. I'm calling the cops right now. And then wow. I just heard, uh, uh, the patter of a bunch of feet running away from the door. Like, Whoa, you know, and I'm sure they um, didn't know where that door led. They were just curious, but right. yeah. I at, hope that somebody has night. put a sign above it now that says, a troll lives in this <laughs> cave. <laughs> Do not poke the bear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, like, my mom has had various friends of ours who have been in trouble at times move in for, like, over a year. So, like, I get it. You know, these things happen. But it's just, you know, you it's not a good situation. They shouldn't be unsupervised. That was, that's the, that's the key, hard yeah. part of my thing. And, yeah. you know, I also don't want it to be, to be something where it's like they can't have visitors or friends over or something mm -hmm. like that. I just sure. want, I just want there to be some kind of, somebody has to be responsible for what's going on here. Yeah. Because if, you know, you've, you've got access to my apartment from the roof, basically. Yeah. So if you've got access to the roof and then access to my apartment and, and where I challenged the people who are on the roof was in that hallway where they had climbed through the window to get oh into the hallway. Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, you can understand my my uh, my feelings nervous. on this situation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, your news is very exciting, but I got a haircut. Hey, nobody <laughs> nobody likes a one-upper. <laughs> I'm just saying, it, it was like the other day. It feels very good. So good. <laughs> But we did have a con I had a conversation with my hairdresser as to, okay, so when we do this cut, it's not my favorite cut, but if something happens and we lock down again, what are you going to be happy to live with? Do you have to sit through your bangs growing out again or should we <laughs> let them keep going? So I wasn't super thrilled about some of it, but overall, it's so I much think better. It looks very cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I didn't put any product in it today, but it's shaved. It's shaved and I'm not hot and I don't feel like I have a mullet. Oh, so much better. I've been just putting bobby pins in my hair for like months now just to keep it out of my face. My hairdresser saw me and she's like, I've never seen your hair this long ever. I was like, yeah, my mom is like, oh, you have cute long hair. Don't cut it. This is not good. Squash this now. See, now I'm on the other side where I'm going, man. Maybe I'll just let my hair grow because I used to have really long hair. Sure. I think every I've once seen in a while I miss that. Aww. But then it's like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> it's a good length as to what it is now. It's like yeah, not short. Yeah, I, I had a cut a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. So. I like the gray that's coming in on the sides. Yeah, man. yeah, it was yeah. very good. Get that, get that uh, you get a Richard Reed Richards there. there, yeah. there going. Yeah. yeah, I like it. <laughs> you should see my uh, father in law, Mark. He's. He's not cutting his hair till December. Oh man! He he is pretty much in almost ponytail 
land already. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh my God. I don't know how you handle it. I can't. I mean, I had long hair all my life until I was 30. So <laughs> and then I was like, no more. No, just take it. Just take it. I don't want to see it again. I'm done with it. So my hair continues to get higher, but I keep it. Yeah. Uh, it is pretty high. The, the sides and so <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm cultivating a Brian Setzer look, I think. Nice. Sure. Sure. If you can eventually work up to a flock of seagulls. There we go. There we go. I'll have to break out the hairnet. It's been, not the hairnet, but the uh, aquanet. aquanet. Yeah. Yes. It's been a long time since I've had to use aquanet. Wow. Hey, guys. I watched a uh, brand new movie that I'm not sure how I felt about it. It was called Ghosts of War. Have you heard anything about this? No, not at all. Is this like a streaming? It's uh, available for rent. Okay. And it's World War II horror, which you know is my oh, yeah. jam. Oh. And it stars um, uh, Brenton Thwaite, who, Eric, you might know as uh, Nightwing from Titans. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, the guy who plays oh, Hawk from Titans is also in this. Oh, really? And like then one of the other soldiers is, I recognized him from Sons of Anarchy and Luke Cage. So it's oh, full of a, a young cast of familiar faces. Mm. Really good acting. It's about a group of American soldiers who have been uh, who have been ordered to to make camp at this um, French mansion that they have to kind of like take care of, and all this weird supernatural start, stuff starts happening, and they kind of realize, oh shit, um, everybody who was killed here uh, by the Nazis, the family that owned this place, now all of that oh. horrible stuff is being replayed and then perhaps perpetrated upon our soldiers mm. and that would have been enough for me yeah. they build in a twist towards the end that doesn't quite work and then they build in a vanessa are you familiar with the term negation of the negation in, as no. far as film going it's when you have a very Ugly, you, you know it even if you don't know the term <laughs> when you have a very mm. ugly ending and then the very ending turns it even worse. <laughs> oh, it's like oh. Uh, Chinatown is the very famous example yeah. of this. When you find out that oh my god, she's also she's been abu uh, sexually abused by her father. Yeah, but the negation of the negation is that she's in love with him. Is what you yeah. realize at the end, and it's just like oh god. And, uh, mm -hmm. and a bad bad example of that you see in horror movies all the time. Yeah, where the oh killer's dead. Oh no, it's not. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah, like the hand comes up. Version. Got it. Uh, so open. this has a a actual twist as we get into the third act that you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And then there is a, another twist that that makes it much darker. That you're kind of like, oh, I I like where this is going. And then and then a negation of the negation of the negation <laughs> at the very end. <laughs> Where you're like, oh, it's too much, guys. <laughs> it's too much. You you had me. You lost me. You had me again, mm -hmm. and then you lost me forever. Sort of so, like sort of like my reaction to the mist. Oh fuck, that's so dark. Mm -hmm. Like okay, enough. Oh look, everything would have been. Oh fuck you. <laughs> what sound doesn't carry in the mist? You didn't hear all those uh, <laughs> troops <shit>, coming. <laughs> They're like twenty feet away. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, Ghosts of War. Some people, I think, will like it a lot, and there is a lot to like in it. You say standard rental? 
Yeah. Like Apple, yeah. Right. Amazon. Apple. Uh, Amazon Apple Rental. Yeah. Three ninety nine. Cool. How about you, Vanessa? Um. So I finally, I I kind of had it in the back of my mind. I wanted to check this movie out, and like never really got around to it. I think it was probably near COVID ish times that it was in theaters. <laughs> Um, so, so it wasn't in theaters. <laughs> it was. It was in theaters. It was, oh, okay. and I definitely missed it. Um, the documentary Apollo Eleven. I've heard really, really good stuff about this. It was actually. I was actually angry at myself for not seeing it in theaters because mm. I think the scale would have been really cool, but the footage is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah you really feel like you get a different um, angle and viewpoint of everything that led up to and the actual experience of the moon landing. Um, the They take a lot of like cutting room floor footage where obviously like newsreels and stuff, we're not going to show like people watching what's on TV while also waiting for news from the moon, <laughs> you know, and sure. like just little details that really humanized the entire experience. Wow. So yeah, it's really neat. They have some amazing angles. And I think because of, I mean, you guys know, like, the the fact that they were landing on the moon, they stuck so many cameras onto the side of that thing. Sure. So you get some really cool cleaned up footage and colored in footage. Um, so it just feels very um, tactile and beautiful. And, I mean, there's no real story outside of what we know. They go to the moon and come back. <laughs> no twist ending. No twist ending. Nazis were found I on mean, the second other side <laughs> of the moon. <laughs> I, it was funny because then I Googled immediately, like, I was watching it with my with my mom and she was like, has anyone else ever landed on the moon? And I was like, I think so. I'm sure other people have. And I looked it up and it's, it, we have, but it's all Americans. No yeah. other. I but thought China like, was setting up to try and do that. They might try to, but that no one's done it yet, which I was yeah. surprised about. Well, they just launched a Mars destination thing. With, China as did. Well. Yeah. Not, not, not manned. Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely, um, I, it's very worthy. It's a very cool documentary. And for anyone who does not believe the moon landing was real, <laughs> the number of employees alone <laughs> that were dealing with this really probably is going to put you to shame. I think I saw a report the other day on uh, conspiracy theories. And if over 40,000 people yeah. would have had to be kept secret... For yes. the moon landing to have been kept a secret. <laughs> yes. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. like, that's just like when people say, like, oh, 9-11 was an inside job. Like, how many people would have had to have been quiet <laughs> about that? Just, like, the scale. Who knew, and nobody yeah. slips up. Like, ah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just seems a little unreal. I'm getting a look. <laughs> no, no. You reminded me. I was listening to a uh, an old interview with Ed Asner. And oh, okay. He, he believes the 9-11. Oh, good Lord. Uh, oh, was wow. all a setup. In sure. Fact, in fact, the 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 soundbite that I took away from that that I love so much, he was like, there were no Jews in the towers that day. Holy shit. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? They'd been They'd been notified. What? <laughs> like, oh, first man. of all, I am a hundred percent sure that's not true, and second of all, <laughs> that's some weird shit. No, of course that's not true. <laughs> yeah, it's New York. But I did Fuck, love that it was man. Ed Asner saying this. I'm like, yeah. oh, Ed, you've suddenly become you know relevant to me again. Ed. I didn't realize you were insane. You are way more interesting. <laughs> oh, good lord. Well, after all of that, mine's a real <laughs> letdown here. 
On Shudder, I watched Yummy. <laughs> oh, I haven't been able. To, I haven't logged into Shudder in a little bit. So tell me, tell me more. That's a 2019 film. I'm tempted to read at least some of the description. I was on IMDb, so I think I shall. Yummy is an orgy of blood, violence, and fun with a young couple travel to shabby Eastern European hospital for plastic surgery. Ooh. The young woman wants a breast reduction. Her mother is coming along for yet another facelift. <laughs> breast reduction? She must be the bad guy in the movie. No, but you watch the movie and go, maybe it's not a bad idea for you, lady. Oh. <laughs> Ridiculous. She but, sounds evil to me. It's, I watched the whole thing, but uh, it's um, okay. It's sort of a zombie movie, sort of a. Okay, yeah, I saw the previews for this. Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't. Yeah, you're fine. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was watchable to where I watched the whole thing. Is but it funny? At times, okay. and that's its saving grace. Because the, the title kind of makes you think, this must be a comedy. It, yeah, yeah. I think if you watch this with five or six of the right people, it'd be very entertaining. But just watching it in general, it's kind of like, huh? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's no. Not, like, it's not... It doesn't go far enough in being crazy, especially mm. when you're talking about messed up uh, surgical practices going on, which is sort of what it sets up as being is like, these are people that are doing horrible things with their surgery, but then that just sort of devolves into a, well, actually we just gave this one person, this virus or something. And now everybody's yeah. becoming zombies. Like oh, shit, that could have been really interesting. But oh, sure. It, it just turns out to be a fun watch. You liked it better than Hamilton, I'm guessing. No, no. <laughs> you keep thinking I hated Hamilton. <laughs> I didn't hate Hamilton. Yeah, I think he just wasn't as impressed with it. No, I mean, I still haven't managed hey, to listened, get to it yet. I listened to that last episode, and I was like, "Man, he really fucking hated that show." <laughs> That's what I got. Out of it. <laughs> Maybe I'll have we, to go back and have a listen and get the truth. <laughs> sometimes we bring our own things to what we hear and watch. <laughs> I uh, did another rental, and this time I was very happy with it. It's called Volition, and it is a kind of dark sci-fi, a little bit of a time slip, and a little bit of a um, a guy who has a uh, hmm, he has parapsychological powers, <laughs> and he, he gets flashes of the future, and oh. he's he's seen his death, and he's trying desperately to. To stop that from happening. Oh, wow. And everything he does seems to kind of push him closer to that thing happening. And so he's, it's huh. this, and it's played very straight. So uh, there's a desperation in it. He's, he starts off as a diamond mule for, uh, you know, a low time criminal, uh, almost a mob wow. boss or a right. mob boss wannabe who he owes just a lot of money to. And the guy says, look, I'll, uh, I'll, we'll square up our debt if you get these diamonds to where I want them to go. And the first time he touches the diamonds, he sees uh, he sees this thing being a success. But then the next time, and he can't control when he gets these visions or anything. The next time he, he sees himself dead and he realizes that, oh, I successfully did this thing, but because of it, I'm going to end up dead. And so now he's stuck in this situation where he is trying to 
desperately make sure he does not die. Mm. Kind of noirish okay. and supernatural. It was just very, very good, I thought. One of those ones that uh, you got to pay a lot of attention to because things are changing constantly. Remind us of the title. Volition. Cool. That's good. And you said it was a general rental as well? Yes. Nice. yes. That's I, cool. I think that I then after renting it, I went, you know, onto IMDb to like look at it and yeah. uh it said that it was coming to shutter like next month and I was like, ah, god damn it. But, <laughs> but I was not disappointed. I mean certainly worth two ninety nine. So <laughs> which is the standard rental price it seems at this point. It just depends on whether it's a <laughs> studio film. This yeah. is a small budget indie sci fi. So. Small budget sure. two ninety nine. Medium budget six to eight dollars. Big budget Priceless. Yeah, I have noticed, I don't know if you guys have seen this as well, but on Amazon, they've got like the new IMDb channel. Yeah. So there's a bunch of new content um, that's free, but it all has ads. Yeah, a lot, a lot of ads. Unlike 2B, who has ads, but 2B ads seem, they're tolerable. There's, there's some of them, but man, IMDb is like, come on. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching... Extra, it's like, like a, a lot of sporting equipment, sporting event or something. Like, oh. Right, it's, it is much more frequent. Um, that's how I ended up watching last week's uh, pick of the crush. Oh. Uh, was on that service, and even though it's on shout, I just didn't end up ordering it in time. So, which I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I was gonna say uh. actually that that was a near miss. But anyway, so uh, the commercial interruptions were very weird. It was like how many, and they don't tell you how many ads it's going to be, and I think mm. some of those other ones do. I don't know voodoo or to be do but yeah. some of them are like three ads two ads one ad generally if you pause there'll be those dots my least favorite there. though is yeah. three ads and then after the first ad the second ad is that ad again yeah. and you're like, oh, oh i no. know i get to sit through three of these <laughs> and then it's in no one else paid for it that week four complete commercial breaks of three ads and they're all the same <laughs> <laughs> i've definitely encountered that uh, but usually the film was very bad, so it was okay. <laughs> oh, great. It's a commercial break. I like this commercial. <laughs> I can get up and do things. I'll stretch. I'll go get whatever. There's something kind of nice about having that taken away from you. You know, you could always watch a movie, just pause and do yeah. something. But when they basically say, oh, here comes your advertisement, you're like, oh, shit. All right. Time to go get some to drink. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually managed to watch much else this week, but I will say that, um, so I've been forced to watch a lot of terrible reality TV stuff with my mom across the Mm -hmm, the time mm -hmm. in which I've stayed with her. My mom forces me to watch (laughs) this stuff and I stay in the room. Yeah, I do. I do do that. That is true. I, but it's mostly because I want to spend time with her. Um, so yeah, so we were watching America's Got Talent and we got to the point where COVID hits and they start doing it by like the camera like the the zoom Zoom recordings (laughs) and it's really funny because oh my god it's just fascinating to see how all these different shows are trying to compensate for like no audience so Mm -hmm. like the first america's got talent where there's no audience like the judges are all just like laughing and they just use them a lot and it gets (laughs) really irritating because you're like it's not that funny. 
because usually you get the whole audience and then they brought in the crew and put them in that same room and then had crew reactions oh, like the live mixers are like <laughs> like a little <laughs> chuckle here and there i was like i guess this is slightly better just, just go with what baseball's doing and pipe in fake crowd I know, noise fake people oh my gosh crowd grower number 65 nothing better attending than, every game nothing better than seeing somebody you know doing their talent and not hearing anything but having one person then, you know. <clears throat> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to know how they're going to go because usually with the audience, um, especially this year, I've never felt so much like the judges were like, whatever the audience wants, that's what we'll do because we want to be liked celebrities. Oh, boy. And the, yeah, so like Simon Cowell's <laughs> extremely nice. Uh, and a bunch of people get through who are really crap at what they do, but the audience just happened to like enjoy it for some reason. Um, so it is really weird. Cause you're like, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know if you guys are going to like or not like this. And there's going to be no rhyme or reason to it. So weird. Yeah. So it's been, it's been fascinating watching this like weird shift in television sure. as people try to scramble to figure out their content. Mm -hmm. Pandemic's got talent. No way. <laughs> Brought to you by Zoom. <laughs> what happened to Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, not enough Dunkin' Donuts money. <laughs> not enough people going into that Dunkin'. Sure, why not? Well, I figured out, you know, the HBO Go playing all the DC stuff that I hadn't watched. I had not watched Doom Patrol past them getting out of the donkey. That's how little of season one I'd watched, oh, which wow. is like okay. episode two or three. Yeah, I think that is I haven't two. seen any of it. It's really good. Mm. So I watched the whole thing and caught back up over the last few weeks, caught back up and, well, I'm into season two now. And uh, I think I mentioned this to you earlier. They're really leaning into the doom part of Doom Patrol on this, where they're getting really serious and heavy and dramatic. And I'm watching this going, I like a superhero show with a lot of side, like Watchmen was full of incredible, wonderful drama along with super human elements. Mm -hmm. Doom Patrol seems to have like no superhero <laughs> elements. What? Like, maybe you guys should find like the somebody to to fight. Maybe mm. one of you guys to go, hey, you know, this is a cool power. Maybe I'll go out and I'll just stop a mugging or something. Just do something. <laughs> but uh, huh. it's still really well written and well acted. I'm just like, man, is this going to be like, uh, what, Buffy after the singing oh, episode where everything is down dark. for the whole season? It's only like seven episodes, I think, for season two. It's really short. But uh, Gloom Patrol, more like hey, it, am I right? Oh, there you right go. There. That was the some low-hanging fruit. Um. The problem I had with that first season was the budget was obviously very small. Yeah. And the effects looked really shitty. And mentally, I was like, look, the answer to this is stop with these effect shots and, and make it more of a dialogue driven. But it sounds like that's what they've done and you're not loving that. But the problem was, though, for the first episode, they didn't because they were all so miniaturized. So like all of them except for uh, the the one guy, I forgot his name, and the bandages is living in the uh, train set. Oh, it's kind of cool, and I sort of wish they leaned into it a little longer. It's only one episode that they're small, but um, they're just all so 
life is suck and everything is horrible. It's like, okay. Well, the comic, you I know, get it. The, the era that they're adapting was pretty talky. Yeah. And not a lot of fighty. True. True. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how um, some of these shows try to balance things and it can get a little bit fatiguing. I found that with um, Runaways, it's really fascinating because the first season, the parents are all like evil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, aren't you guys supposed to die immediately? Like in the comic? No. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> in season two, they like really humanize the parents and they spend a lot of time with them. And then season three, all the parents are inhabited by aliens. So their personalities all wildly shift. And you're like... <laughs> oh, you guys just don't want to do any new casting? So we're just going to see all these people over and over and over again in slightly new lights? Are you talking about Runaway stuff? Yeah. Season three? Yeah. I didn't realize I they got know. a third They just season. dropped it. Yeah. Oh. Or I guess, I think they just dropped it. That's I noticed it and was like, oh, I did not see this one. I thought, well, I didn't watch season two, and I thought yeah, I that it got canceled after that. Yeah. No. I yeah, I made I, it two or three episodes into season one where I'm going, yeah, this is. There were moments. It gets yeah. better after the third episode. Yeah. But there are like yeah, there's definitely some good stuff in there. And it's really fun to watch um James Marsters, like, mm. you know, again, do anything. Yeah, as usual. <laughs> so yeah, true, true. But but at this yeah, there's there's things in it I really like, but there's plenty that I'm like, I don't I'm a little tired of I don't know why the parents are still alive. This is really <laughs> annoying. I'm like, in the comics, they die so quickly. Like, why are we? Oh, okay. It's fine. It's fine. They just got too many talented actors. And they're like, don't worry, guys. We're not going to fire you. It's fine. And then they kept that promise. Well, I imagine you get somebody like James Marsters and you're like, are we going to kill off our our you know, most famous actor. Or? Well, and all the parents are really good actors. Okay. Like they, they got a really good group going on. So, uh, should we take a little break guys? And yeah. come back? we're going to be discussing films that were based on a true story. This was my subgenre pick. I picked yeah. uh, based on a true story, and I wanted it to be as kind of open-ended as it could be. So even <laughs> if it was a horror film that just said based on a true story, I was totally fine with that. With that in mind, <laughs> I chose a little documentary called Blood Sport. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
For centuries, the Society of the Black Dragon has sanctioned an ancient rite of combat known as the Kumite. Open only to the world's most lethal warriors. It has never been won by a Westerner. You are not Japanese. I can do it. Now, for the first time, the true story of American super agent Frank Dukes can be revealed. Uncle Sam can't afford to let you get hurt. I'm going to Hong Kong. Frank is going to fight in the Kumite, and we're here to stop him. An awesome human weapon. There to be just looking at it. Infiltrates the Chinese underworld. I did not come this far to stop now. Thank you. To enter a forbidden competition. Couldn't you just get me in? Strict rules, no press. You're telling me you never break rules? Where every fighting style. in savage combat. I'm separate the men from the boys. And only one will triumph. How I break you? International martial arts sensation Jean-Claude Van Damme in Blood Sport. The true story of the ultimate champion. <laughs> I just don't know how you're getting away with this. From 1988, it had a budget of 1.1 million dollars. Wow, they did a worldwide gross of 50 million dollars. Whoa, that's a success! I I saw this one in the theater. Yeah, me too. Uh, (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes. The critics have it at 40 (laughs) percent. The audience has it at 74 percent. They're much closer. It was directed by. Newton Arnold. What a terrible name. <laughs> oh, my God. Does he have a pocket protector? Does it leak? Um, he is mostly known as an assistant director, 60 credits as an assistant director, wow. including such low-budget films as Godfather 2, oh, Towering Inferno, Inferno, Inferno. <laughs> the spinoff, Sorcerer, Blade oh, Runner, Whoa. The Abyss. Jesus, dude. It was written written by Shelton Lettich, who wrote Rambo 3, and then apparently got in good with Van Damme because he then wrote Double Impact, Lionheart, and a couple other Van Damme oh, movies. Geez. And Mel Friedman, who is mostly known as an editor on films such as Poltergeist, Jim Cotta, and 25 episodes <laughs> of Breaking Bad. Jim Cotta's huh? pretty good. It stars <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hey, the... Muscles from Brussels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Donald Gibb, who you will mostly know as the uh, the big guy in oh. Revenge of the Nerds, who goes, Nerds! Forgot he was in that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I didn't realize that. And then Leah Ayers, who is almost exclusively a television actress, and her final credit was in 1998. So yeah. I didn't do any research. I hope she's okay. But uh, no reason why she couldn't have continued acting. She is a very attractive and fine actor. But 98, she hung it up. Sure. Bloodsport. What about the guy from Enter the Dragon? Oh, Bolo? Yeah. I, well, I wasn't going to just <laughs> list off everybody in this movie. Bolo, uh, who plays the main villain in that, 50 years old in this movie. Mm-hmm. Bloodsport tells the true story of Frank Dukes, who was trained as a child by a Japanese karate master 
and when we meet him, has been invited to compete in the annual Kumite, which is a super secret underground mixed martial arts competition in Hong Kong, where only the best of the best are allowed. Sure. <laughs> there he makes friends with Jackson, a very loud American brawler, and has sex with Janice, a reporter trying to get a scoop on this secret fight. Wait, is this the movie or the real guy? This is... Well, this is based on the life story of Frank Dukes. Okay, Try, sorry. Put up your dukes. I'm just trying to follow where we're at. Uh, through it all, <laughs> he is being pursued by two plainclothes military police officers. This is a lot of very specific information. Uh, they are played by Norman Burton and Forrest Whitaker, believe it or not. Oh, that's right. We're trying to stop him from competing in this and getting hurt because he is a... A valuable asset to the U.S. military. He may also be CIA in some regards. He's a Marine. We know that. And he is a um, he is an officer. And they don't want their officer getting hurt in this super secret. Kumate, kumate, kumate. (laughs) (laughs) He goes on to compete his way to the top of this and defeat the reigning champion. That's this movie. And that's this guy's life. Verbatim. At the end of this movie, we are given some stats on Frank Dukes and the Kumite. Uh, He fought 329 matches from 1975 to 1980 and retired undefeated as the world heavyweight full contact Kumite champion. He has four Kumite world records. Fastest knockout, 3.2 seconds. Fastest punch with knockout, 0.42 seconds. (laughs) <laughs> fastest kick with knockout. They don't tell you how in seconds. They do tell you the miles per hour of the kick. Huh. Anyone want to guess? Ooh, uh, 200. Don't be ridiculous, Vanessa. Eric, you got a better guess? 120. Jesus. 72 miles an hour. Oh, You're God. making 72 I miles an hour started... on a leg seem like not a very big accomplishment. My first thought was 80, and then I was like, that's not going to be impressive enough. I should go up. Wow. You expect a lot out of a man. I don't know, man. Like a leg swack versus a car. I was trying to work it out. Okay. He also I has... just made a bullshit guess. <laughs> he has the most um, consecutive knockouts in a single tournament, which is 56. Whoa. And as Eric knows, he also went on to found his own fighting style, Ninjitsu Dukes Ryu, which was here in Seattle, I believe. Yeah. yeah I was going to uh... he's local. International uh, Highway or something like somebody in the SeaTac area or something like that for a while at least. So that's it. I mean, based on a true story. <laughs> and okay, we started, what doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did a little research on this guy's. Uh, oh. Contrary to his claims. <laughs> Frank Dukes' military records show he never served overseas, never received the Medal of Honor. Or any other award. Oh, my. And in 1978 was referred for psychiatric evaluation after he expressed, in quotes, flighty and disconnected ideas. Oh, no. Dukes (laughs) claims the military sabotaged his service record to discredit him. Sure. Okay. In one photo of Frank Dukes that is very popular on the Internet, he is wearing uh, his ribbons in an incorrect order. And the Medal of Honor is not the type that would be presented to a Marine. Ooh. <laughs> After defending that picture many times, he then later explained that it was just a Halloween costume. 
bitch. Oh no. She <gasps> <It> crumbled. <laughs> Martial arts experts have expressed doubts that a Kumite tournament of this size could ever even exist without everybody knowing about it. <laughs> yeah. There is no evidence of such a thing. When pressed, Dukes showed an invoice for the Kumite, but when investigated, Dukes turned out to be the point of contact for the invoice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Trophy he claims to have won was actually proven to be purchased by him at a trophy store. Oh no. <laughs> wow. Dude. The karate teacher that he had as a young child has turned out to be a dead end. Nobody has been able to find any information on this supposed person. <laughs> And his CIA connections have all denied working with or even knowing him. <laughs> I well, mean, that's, that's very CIA. That's what they right? have to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> what a great cover-up story. Just go full military in a way that would be hard and overseas. Yeah. Let me uh, no one just will ever know the truth. this last bit I found. <clears throat> this is my favorite bit, if you can believe it or not, out of all that stuff. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Writing in the book, Actions Speak Louder, Eric Lichtenfield said that when his exploits are questioned, Dukes counters by actually exploiting his lack of substantiating evidence and spinning it into even wilder stories. Duke says the reason he no longer has the sword he was presented with at the Kumite is because he sold it in a failed attempt to buy the freedom of a boat of orphans whom he later rescued from pirates... And that he stopped a plot to assassinate Steven Seagal. Ooh. And that discrepancies in his martial arts history are the work of fabrications by his rivals, including ninjutsu master Stephen K. Hayes, who oh. you will recognize from comic book advertisements from the 70s and 80s. Oh, my God. That is so beautiful. Holy shit. It sounds like he is, um, well, maybe confused is a good way to put it. Uh, it's just so purposeful, though. He clearly has some kind yeah. of martial arts training. Right. Because there's video sure. of him doing, you know, doing things. Yeah. But, Eric, you then surprised me and said that he had showed up at Crypticon a couple yeah. of years back. Yeah. I missed this completely. I think it was one of, I don't think he was a guest or anything, but it was one of the first times we were in the SeaTac area. Okay. And well, there, he just showed, showed up, up. Just and then in. let mm -hmm. everyone know he was Frank Dukes. Yeah. Yep. So, I, unfortunately, <laughs> I never saw him. So I can't verify. I've been sworn to secret. I mean, <laughs> but, that, but I do remember that flying through the Crypticon staff and stuff is a rumor. Man, you're that guy from Bloodsports here? Like, what? I mean, we had uh, Phoenix Jones show up randomly, so oh, you never really? know. That's oh, yeah. True. He showed up a couple of years. First year was sort of random, but he was so popular. Mm -hmm. We can hey, come back whenever you want to, man. <laughs> it, has, it must have been before my Crypticon time. It was at SeaTac. Oh. It was also at SeaTac. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. But, you know, that's a that was a big enough area. Yeah. But, you know, he could have been wandered in, because we had those two different halls that were so far and separate. So you could have been wandering in one while you were in another doing a panel or something. You would have never known, mm -hmm. you know. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is, uh, well, there's a lot to love in this movie. Jean-Claude's ass is 
a thing to behold. Bouncing <laughs> quarters. Like, that guy has got a great ass. Um, and he does the splits, you know, on a couple of yeah. chairs. And these are, uh, this is the first time I'd ever even heard of this guy. Right. And I, so I walked out of the theater big. and I was like, this is my new favorite actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but one of my favorite scenes is this is clearly shot on location in Hong Kong. And there is a scene where the agents are chasing him through the streets and uh, they uh, they have to cross a, a very crowded street and avoid a streetcar and all this stuff. But they end up uh, jumping across the junks in Hong Kong Harbor. Yeah. Hong Kong Harbor is quite possibly the filthiest body of water on the planet. Oh, my God. Nobody would, would swim, fish, or do anything from here. And in, in one scene... Uh, Forrest Whitaker and uh, Norman, I can't remember his name, the the two cops who are chasing him, they get on a very uh, wobbly little rowboat and then fall over into the harbor and then they come up and spit water out of their oh. mouth. And I watched that and just about shit my pants. <laughs> I was like, the insurance on this film had to have been gigantic for them to risk a shot like this. Even contact with Hong Kong Harbor is got to be the, the grossest, most dangerous thing you can do to your body. Oh, my God. Putting that water in your mouth or in your eyes. And they didn't or... just, like, do a close-up in a different body of water or something? Uh, well, I don't know. I didn't, I you know, they could have, <laughs> but I don't know why they would have started being safe at After, that point. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> that Everything is else true. is based on so much truth that that had to be done I mean, <laughs> accurately. There, well. there were a lot of injuries and, in, you know, fight injuries in this yeah. because sure. the, you know, Van Damme wouldn't uh, wouldn't measure the kick correctly or something yeah. and would actually connect with somebody's head and shit sure. like that. Yeah, he was so, pretty new to yeah, movies for this film. He hadn't really become... He was just a funny. handsome uh, martial artist. And yeah. somebody said, hey, I'm, I'm backing this guy. I think he can be mm-hmm. something. I mean, he could barely speak intelligently. You, you, you're really struggling to understand with <laughs> yeah. his accent. This had to be, let's see, what year was this? You said 88? 88. Okay, so this is after he's um, been kicked out of Predator because, you know, he was originally the Predator monster in Predator and then complained that he couldn't breathe in the costume they got. Oh, no. Was it Kevin Peter Hall, I think? Sounds right, but I don't remember. Wow. Uh, I did not know this. So he was, you know, they were trying him out in like stunt positions and shit like that. And and he had a dream, I guess, and shit. Figured it out. Yeah. I I mean... uh, He's done some shit films, but you ever see JCVD? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a lot of fun. That was really an interesting film to watch. I thought that was a shit film, which is not to say that I didn't enjoy right, it. Right, exactly. Uh, when you say he's done some shit films, all I can say is yes. yes. Every, every single one was a shit film. Uh, he did bring, although it didn't really work out for well to John Woo, he did bring John Woo to the U.S. for Hard Target. Oh, right. But uh, John Woo's... Never really that great here in the U.S. His films are all kind of yeah good. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the um, the one where uh, Van Damme plays twins? Double, double dragon double or double impact? Double impact. And the tagline, twice the Van Damage. That's right. Yes, that's so good. That <laughs> god awful like yellow and green video cover. It was just uh, I, really I don't know. Bad. Uh, everything about these movies are. Awful and 100% entertaining. True. Van Damme, you all to hell. <laughs> Put up your dukes. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the, uh, 
the uh, sports guy, Dave Damashek. Uh, but he talks about his kids and uh, always refers to them as the little Van Damasheks, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Uh, yeah, so I, I very highly recommend this film, uh, but not for its true-to-life telling. Amazing. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and jump on in with a film that is so on the opposite end <laughs> of everything from your own. Are you saying it's Oscar winning? Wait a second. Quality? No, no. <laughs> I just mean genre. Oh, okay. I just mean it's it's a horror film rather than <laughs> a uh, 80s action flick. Sports movie. <laughs> right, exactly. A sports film. What are you talking about? This is adventure and action that falls into our categories. Oh, of course. No, it's in our categories. I'm just really going to go ahead and uh, change gears. You're leaning into the horror. We're on the freeway going at 80 and we're just about to go into a 30... Like, skid down. Like, we're going into second here, people. <laughs> um, so I chose the 2017 movie Veronica. se creía que lo que ocurría en el cielo era un reflejo de lo que ocurría en la tierra por eso se creía también que durante los eclipses la oscuridad reinaba por encima de la luz cerrar los ojos ¿hay alguien aquí con nosotras? ¿quieres hablar con alguna de nosotras? ¿lo has movido tú? heard of this. Um, it was bumping around Netflix. I'd heard some really good things about it and just not managed to get to it. Uh, it's got a Rotten Tomatoes of 90% critics. Wow. So really good, but only 49% audience, but it is a foreign film. So, you know... Gotta we, read them words. Yeah, all the, <laughs> the, the, the audience for Rotten Tomatoes just does not seem to enjoy foreign films, yeah. I think. I think that's a, a hard one for them. You, you fall on the side of the critics in this, I'm guessing... I, I do. I do. I actually think that um, 
I think it's a pretty awesome film and there's there's some really good things going for it. Uh, the budget's pretty low, actually. It's a 6.1 million, or actually, I'm sorry, I don't know what the budget was. The box office was 6.1 million. I think it was more of a festival hit and a specifically European release. And then uh, Netflix probably picked it up for US distribution rather than it doing a theater run. So it's it. I can't say that it made a ton of money, but the director slash writer is Paco Plaza, who you guys will have remembered from Rec, Rec 2, Rec 3, <laughs> and there's a random Christmas TV movie in there somewhere. So, <laughs> so super gr- awesome director, I think. So it, you've got somebody who definitely can handle a cast and a crazy amount of um, scenery moving and clashing together, uh, which definitely is on its on its side. Um, the He had some writing help from a, a dude who... Because it's a Spanish film, I don't know a lot about these different um, people involved. So I'm just going to be very vague. The writers seem to do a lot of TV (laughs) there. Thanks, Fernando Navarro. Uh, It stars a really talented, beautiful girl, Sandra Escasina. This was her first film right out of um, acting school. She's since done, she has eight credits. Um, most recently, a, a short film called The Same, also with Paco Plaza. So she's definitely an up-and-comer, and I think she's worth watching. There are th- a lot of other people in this. Um, she has three younger siblings. They haven't been in anything. They're all little kids. And then um, the mother has 53 credits, credits, mostly a mix of TV and film. And the only thing I knew anything about was she was in The Other Boleyn Girl as Catherine of Aragon. <laughs> So sure. only point of reference. Uh, the the plot is it's gonna sound real familiar here for a second. So <laughs> excuse me while I uh, so there's this whip your Ouija board out. There's this Ouija board, right? <laughs> so so we start off with this the girl um who Sandra is playing, uh Veronica. There's there, she's living in this sort of chaotic household. So it's obviously like low income high-rise building. Um, She's got three younger siblings. She's getting them up, getting them ready. A lot of chaos. And her mom is just totally asleep, has a little (laughs) packet of pills next to her. And I was like, what is up with this chick? Like, either she's a movie star, she's a drug addict, or (laughs) God knows what. Turns out she's just super overworked. So, spoiler alert. Um, She just works nights. Movie's ruined. Yeah, you find out very quickly. Um, So it's really fallen on Veronica to basically help raise her siblings. And meanwhile, where's the dad in the picture? Dad seems to have died probably fairly recently. And that's caused a lot of stress on the family. So everyone's kind of at the end of their ropes, just doing the best that they can. Uh, Veronica definitely misses her dad. We know this because pretty much right away... There is an eclipse that's going to happen. It's a big, cool eclipse. All of her siblings, they all go to the same, like, private... I don't know if it's private school or not, but it's, like, a Catholic-run school. And um, they're all going to go up on the rooftop, and they're going to look through these... It's really cool, these old film negatives to use them as, like, glasses. That's right. Yeah, that was cool. It's super cool. Did you see this film? Yes. Yeah. Um, super neat kind of scene. And during that... Um, she is going to go down below and use a Ouija board and use this eclipse power 
to try and communicate with or bring her father back somehow. So let me backtrack a bit now. Absolutely. This is based on a based true on story. true story. Okay. Yeah, we're Just checking. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain that all after I get through <laughs> this part. Um, so uh, it's it is set in I believe it's 1991. Sorry about this, guys. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, 1991. Um, so you you do have it's definitely a period piece. Like there's a lot of rotary telephone action. Only a couple <laughs> of you know TV channels. They they actually do a very good wo- job of making it feel 1991. There's a lot of high waisted like, um, I don't, what are those jeans called? Mom jeans. They're mom jeans, but they're like the wash is like. They're black jeans, but they have a lot of white speckles. Acid wash. Acid wash. Thank you. A lot of acid wash going on in here. I was in first grade for this film, okay? I don't have a lot of connection to the style and in Catholic school, so I didn't get to pick my clothes. Um, so the while she's uh, down there with two friends, she wants just her best friend to help her raise this do this situation but her best friend seems to have like tagged in another girl which really upsets her so this other random super flighty like kind of blonde girl is down there joining them and like oh what are we doing we're in the basement of the school and we're gonna raise the dead (laughs) 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 and apparently her boyfriend had died in some horrible motorcycle accident but it really doesn't feel like it because she's super flighty so she's going to try to communicate with them and they're like oh did you bring some personal effect and um so the girl has a picture of her father with holding what i thought was a giant pizza but later i do believe (laughs) it is a pot of pail at an angle so if anyone knows for sure, please let me know. Please write into it the show. Pizza, please let it be pizza. I was hoping it's pizza, but it has a lot of fish on it. So it kind of, I know, I know, but it is Spain. Yeah, so exactly. it could be so many things going on. During this, because it's during the eclipse, they do manage to awaken something. Of course, the Ouijiing goes terribly wrong. They're using like an upside down glass and the glass is going all over the place and it gets really hot. And the other two girls release their fingers from the glass uh, which they're using to hit all the different points. Um, so it's just her holding the glass, Veronica trying to talk to her dad. It's zooming all over the place and weird stuff is happening. And um, I think the glass ends up breaking and she it cuts her finger and she bleeds all over this board and then is kind of unconscious, but sort of in an odd state and is muttering all this stuff that we don't hear, but her best friend sort of leans over and is like, what's going on with you? Uh, and hears something and is shocked. So Veronica then wakes up in a nurse's office and is like, oh, what happened? Oh, okay. I guess I wasn't supposed to be in the basement. Sorry, guys. All right. Bye. <laughs> Goes back home and things start to get weird. She has brought something back with her and I have to say the effects for this film are really, I thought, very good, really wonderful stuff. The the creature that she has brought back with her, spoiler alert, not dad, um, <laughs> is like this big, large, dark, gaunt thing that really feels like it should be out of Guillermo del Toro's films. Like it's it's creepy. Even when you see it closer, it's almost like it's made out of like tar or something. It's it's not it doesn't feel CGI. It feels very physical, but it's just bizarre and strange. And there's a lot of really great visuals. Um, 
There's a nun who is at her school who kind of gives a little bit of a hint as to what's going on. She sort of brings us full circle and says, uh, yeah, something's with you. I can see it. And she's like, I'm, I'm blind for a reason. I can see things and I really didn't want to. So I did this to myself and her blind look is so good. Like you really believe this, like you can see part of her old eye, but it's, it's really well done. I was like, man, this chick has been through something. This doesn't look like <laughs> the freaking nunnery part six or whatever. Yeah. Nun's revenge. <laughs> it looks like real. It looks good. Um, we have three days that we're following this girl up until something happens. We began the film with like a 911 call um, and a bunch of chaos police showing up at this apartment and someone saying he's trying to get in. He's trying to get in. So we're on this sort of countdown to get back to that moment. Uh, things just get crazier and crazier for Veronica. She seems to keep seeing this demon and she wants to prevent it from like hurting her siblings. Um, and the apartment is in such a way that it's like the corner unit of the, um, the complex. So she can look through a window and see through it to her apartment on the other side. So it kind of wraps around, which causes a lot of really cool moments where she looks across and sees um, things lighting up. There's a Simon Says game that keeps lighting up and so well used where it's like, oh my God, the Simon Says is going off in the kid's room and she has to <laughs> run around the corner and get over there. And right when she gets there, she can see the shadow of this thing crawling across and um, just really neat stuff. She, of course, becomes very concerned and the blind nun says, yeah, so you woke this thing up. It's not what you want. It's your job now to protect your siblings because you done fucked up <laughs> and you need to fix this. So to fix it, it's very problematic because, for example, the Ouija board, which, by the way, is a as seen on TV package that she got, which is so good. Like when she first opens it up, it's in like a plastic wrap and she just kind of tears through it. And there's a giant sticker that's you know Spanish, but it's clearly as seen on TV. And she puts it all up and it's got like really silly looking Dungeons and Dragons style manuals with it. Um, so that Ouija board that she used split in half at the end of her seance. Um, so she has to kind of duct tape it together and she's like, okay, well, I obviously need the two people who are with me. Her friend has decided to kind of ghost her because of whatever it was she was whispering at the time and just the weirdness of the events. Um, so she's trying to find her best friend and her best friend's just totally like peaced out and is throwing a party, but didn't invite her. So she runs over to the party and she's like, I need you and I need other chick that you're replacing me with as the other cool new girl. And I'm very sad about this. And my teenage years are hard. Um, and I need you both to come and do this Ouija board with me. And they both are like, no, not happening. But the best friend does reveal, Hey, yeah. So do you even remember what happened? And she's like, no, don't remember. Well, you whispered, I'm going to die on, you know, in three days. Which I think is really crummy because if you're the best friend of somebody and they like tell you they're going to die in three days, that's the time to ghost them. Oh, you know, cut your losses before it really hurts. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's too painful to just go through it all. Yeah. 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 Um, so she <laughs> decides to fill in her, the two girls with her siblings, <laughs> younger, adorable siblings. So um, she's got her two sisters and then there's a little, little boy who's got like cross-eyed and big glasses and she has him sit on the side. So it's still three people and three girls. 
And they try to basically um, raise this thing so they can say goodbye because she never said goodbye um, to it. And that's why this thing is following her. It's not the eclipse or the huge amount of demonology or the blood everywhere. Nope. It's just that she didn't say goodbye. So they try to raise it back up and do, even though it's kind of been there the whole time. And um, they have to sing like a calming song to get it to go away. But the only song they all know is this like commercial that plays. So they sing this like fun commercial about this product over and over again as the demons like running around and like the girls are like losing track of the song that she's like, no, concentrate on the commercial song. We have to get through this. Um, so it's got some um, loving it. really strong kind of fun moments in it. And of course, um, I, I won't say how it ends, but we do come back around to that 911 call. I really liked this film. I thought visually there was so much style to it. They, this is a love letter. This film really likes horror films. The, the director clearly is passionate about this stuff. He uses a lot of techniques that I've seen in other films, but used really well. Like there's some moments where she's walking forwards and everything around her is going backwards. And then she's, splits and starts to go backwards but part of her is still going forwards and like but it looks really good and it's very creepy um there's a lot of like synthy music throughout and at one point um it becomes like 1960s horror film music which is super fun like it's very you just feel like there's all these little things here and there pinging to um to the genre of horror uh stuff that was terrible sons <laughs> so, sorry guys sorry for that i do like that it wrapped back around um and this the characters were great the siblings all feel super like siblings like little kids they're always playing games and like running around and doing stuff in the background and i i know i've said it before for other films but i dig that so much when you spend so much time on every character not just the one who's speaking in that moment like the kids are just always like playing and drawing on walls. And like, at one point she asks her little brother to draw these like protection spells on the wall. And he like flips the page and accidentally draws on one of the walls, like a raising demon symbol, <laughs> but, but he's like six. So you're like, ah, oh, but he's cute. It's fine. Don't worry about it. There's just a lot of really good little moments in it. The things I don't like, I feel like the, there's a twist at the end that is extraordinarily obvious and I thought everyone knew the whole time so that wasn't great um, there is some very dramatic moments in it like when she bursts into the party and tries to get her friends to help her out it is just so much yelling it becomes a very melodrama um, there's moments with the mom that you're like oh man people are going to start slapping each other in fact at one point she does slap one of her sisters because she's like where's the other kid and her sister's not saying anything so she just slaps her across the face and it's like wow guys you got straight up into Spain and I will say he does use Wreck a little bit as a crutch. There are some kind of crossovers where because we're starting with this 911 call and we're following this police through it and it's almost like this police eye view. And then at the end, we actually end up on these kind of photos that are, you know, which is cool. It's from the crime scene. I think it's from the actual crime scene pictures, but it just feels like there's a lot of Wreck in there. And I wish he'd pulled a little bit further away from that. <laughs> Um, but I would say it's totally worth checking out. I think that it was really overlooked as far as it just being based on a real thing is 
it's interesting. So the the true event that this is apparently part of um, involved Estefanio Gutierrez Lazaro and her family in 1991. She was an 18-year-old who, after playing Ouija with two classmates, in like a few months later, paranormal activity started increasing and um, then she died. Uh, only re- one report was filed by the Spanish police, Policia Nacional, uh, which details the supernatural events observed in Estefanio's house. So it sounds like the police report, they're really leaning into it being very um, like strange, the stuff they saw when they arrived. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have that here. Like, I don't know what the police report said, but I think it was something about like the shadows were creepy and there were things moving and unexplainable stuff. So, um, I I think I think it does a good job with like a little piece of information. And of course, we are, we all love somebody played Ouija and died. It's a really <laughs> fun plot point. Who doesn't dig that? So. Nice. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't love this movie. Really? Oh, interesting. I, I, what 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 was it that you didn't dig about it? Well, I thought there were some really cool scenes and shots. Sure. Um. Probably the problem for me was I watched it opening day because it was like oh. this is the new film from the creator of Wreck, and wow. I wanted. I don't know what I wanted, but this is not what I wanted. It's very different. It yeah. feels very cinematic, but also kind of low budget. I didn't mind that because, you know, Wreck feels cinematic and low budget. There was just something in this. I think it was the melodrama you'd talk about where yeah. I was like, I, I mean, I get it. These are high school girls and this probably has to be in here if we're to believe it. Right. But it it was not the story I wanted. It does undermine it. And I, I hate that her mother never believes her. It's very frustrating. There's like things where she's trying to ask for help or do things and everyone's like, ha ha ha. No, of course not. I'm going to be a stereotype. (laughs) And that is really annoying. And one other thing that might've bugged you um, that I noticed. So while some of the music was really cool, some of it was really crappy and it was like weird Euro pop. And then it, it switched around feeling quickly and jarringly. So the music was all over the map. In fact, I put down like and dislike music for both <laughs> because some of the music was super cool and it felt like it was kind of John Carpentery and it had this cool synth thing. And then some of it sounded like Euro versions of uh, like the, the deep Euro version, <laughs> Eurovision version of David Bowie. And I oh, guess like geez. this was all when I was looking it up behind the scenes info, there was a band that did pretty much all the music for this. So I think it, the band just kind of sucks. <laughs> so and occasionally she, they hit on it, but most of the time it was kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And she has to like fall asleep to the music. She's always putting her headphones on before she falls asleep and she puts on this flashlight and looks at the stars on her ceiling as she falls asleep to the same song. And I don't hate the song, but it's so opposing to the weird synthy stuff. And then the 1960s music or maybe, I don't know, maybe even earlier horror style music. It is kind of strange. So there are things in it that I think jar and kind of bring you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't even, I mean, what what year was this, you say, 2016? Uh, it came out, I think, later than that, uh, 2017. 2017, okay. So I was wildly off. When yeah, I, 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 in my head, I, I was Jesus. thinking 2019. A whole, like, 12 months. <laughs> 
but Sorry whatever. About that. <laughs> I think that, I, I, well, I can't quite remember the storyline or anything like that. I do remember that watching it, I thought, oh, that's a nice shot. And I do remember the creature was creepy. Yeah. I, I found it really hard to believe the uh, the layout of that apartment. It was very strange and it was hard to understand because she keeps looking out at the window across to this girl who kind of has this perfect life Yeah, that she's envying. But at the same time, she can also look across and see her own house. So the layout is a little confusing. I've seen that used in a few German films and Italian films. So maybe yeah. it's something. It must be the shape. Makes, There's probably a courtyard. The gigantic. Yeah. yeah. It is an so, enormous yeah. like home for them. And, and it does. I mean, it definitely feels low budget. Like I've seen housing units that are very similar to this in, in London where it's just like a tower block and yeah. clearly like. You know. But that would probably be like three apartments as opposed to one. <laughs> yeah, still, it does. It does feel like, it feels like maybe eight apartments. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, okay. really big. big. Right. Yeah, like it's not every room isn't huge, but there are a lot of rooms. So you're like, wait, is this another bathroom? What's going on here? <laughs> All right. So we went from one that's complete BS and fun and entertaining to one that was Strangely also, BS. Also complete BS. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Most likely. But, but there was a police report film. about a Ouija board. So you oh, know, there you go. In 91. To one that is frighteningly BS. true. Oh. <laughs> uh, although it, yeah, although it is a little bit embellished and dramatized for, <laughs> for uh, film sakes is uh, 2007's The Girl Next Door. Mm-hmm. One sound down here, and I'll kill the both of you. Nothing in my life has been right since the summer of 1958. A time when even the guilty displayed a rare innocence. <laughs> See anything? Not even a goddamn elbow. Hold it. Hold it. We'll wait. He wants to sleep over there again. What, next door? I'm Meg. Two young girls living at the Chandler's now. So? I hear you met Oh, your cousin, yeah, down by the rock. Cute too, ain't she? What's that? They were in an accident. Both parents died too. Mom says they must have died instantly. You just dropped by to get this to David. She's something, isn't she? Mrs. Chandler must love having her around. Tent worms. I'll do this one, and you can do the rest, okay? I don't want to. David? Hey, Meg, how's it going? Two days. It hates me. I'll do. I'm not trying to do anymore, bitch. Your sister is a goddamn bitch. Nothing I ever do is right. It doesn't sound like the roof I know. Not so fun when it's your precious sister getting slapped around. Teach you to pick on people your own size. You brought a cop here after my mother. Best policy. Mind your own business. That's how you stay out of trouble. So you think any more about it? About what? Getting big into the game? We got our own game now. You want to think about one thing, girl. Well, two things, actually. First, it could be your little sister hanging here instead of you. And second, I know some of the bad things you've done, and I'm kind of interested to hear them, so... Maybe this confessing isn't such a kid's game after all. I can hear it from the one of you, or I can hear it from the 
other. You just think about that. This is not the porn one or whatever. <laughs> I would, I, that's why, like, when you first said that, I was like, oh, my God, that's based on a true story? Duh, of course it is. And the, I saw that one in theaters. I was like, oh, sure, Girl Next Door is a fun film. I mean, I don't know how genre it is, but all right. <laughs> well, this one's uh, not pleasant. Anyway, so it's uh, Rotten Tomatoes has reviewers at 67 and audience at 61. <laughs> Which seems somewhat right. Uh, I could not find really anything on the budget of the box office for some reason. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it was directed by Gregory Wilson, going as Gregory M. Wilson for this film. You know, hiding his name a little bit or something. I don't know. But he's a director of Ghoul and Home Invaders. Uh, written by uh, Daniel Ferrans, who wrote Strangely... Four Friday the 13th documentaries, a Halloween documentary, and the fairly abysmal The Tooth Fairy horror film. Not The Tooth Fairy starring The Rock. No, no. Okay. Not, that, not the one from last I week. I was like, if that's a horror film, I'm going to revisit that. Based on the book by one of my favorite writers, uh, Jack Ketchum, who died a lot older than I thought. He was 71 when he died. I yeah. thought for some reason he was in his 60s. And you remember this guy, Philip Nutman? I know the name. He he passed away, unfortunately, in 2015 at <clears throat> 50. Um, I screened his film, A Bed, in the uh, 2014 Crypticon Film Festival, oh. of which he attended. Uh, I believe he attended or had a lot of interactions with the guy. So he's, he's a neat guy. I liked him. He acted in it playing a character named <clears throat> Craig Skip. <laughs> <laughs> So, all is that the name in the book also? I I don't know. I don't know. I should have checked on that, but I'm not sure. But uh, Craig Spector and John Skip were two very oh. good horror writers from the late 80s, oh, early 90s. Thank you for filling me in. <laughs> I was very confused. <laughs> uh, stars William Atherton, uh, who was the professor in Real Genius, or Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, Die Hard. You know, he almost always plays a version of the same character sure. and Blythe uh, Froth. I don't know lots and lots of TV uh, Blanche Baker was in 16 Candles Raw Deal and a whole crap load of stuff and a lot of kids <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see <laughs> this film is based on something that happened in 19 uh, depending on when you like uh, 58 late 50s early 60s Man puts his two daughters in under the care of her, her aunt, who already has five male children. The acting by the lady playing the aunt is truly disturbing. Aunt Ruth is an, in, not a stable person. There's several scenes of her giving the kids beer and talking about they go to a circus and she talks about the dancing girls and... Would they like to see those dancing girls? Would they like to see her be like a dancing girl? It's just like, oh, you are an uncomfortable person. The stories, Jack Ketchum took some uh, liberties with the original story in that 
he did not, which is amazing. If you've ever read Jack Ketchum, he's not a subtle author. He's written some fairly extreme stuff. He decided to kind of create a character who's a 12-year-old boy that lived next door so he could separate from the actions of what was really going on and not necessarily do all the details of everything that happened. Like if he wrote it from the, the girl's standpoint or if he wrote it from the aunt's standpoint, he chose to separate to the guy next door. The names have been changed in the story. You don't necessarily get the original people. Uh, I'll be sticking with the names in the movie as they come up just because that's easier. <laughs> it starts off with kind of a, a weird wraparound story, sort of like Saving Private Ryan starts with the guy this is the boy next door as an adult trying to contend with what he let happen when he was younger. According to him in the story, he's never told anybody what happened, not even his uh, wife and stuff, which is, you know, I don't think it's a story I'd want to tell if I was <laughs> been 12 and witnessed all this shit. The aunt is taking care of these two girls and she is horrendous. She's abusive and horrible to them. I'm not sure why. It's one of the weird parts of the story. And the real girl, there's two girls, one lived and one, one died. And the one who lived never fully even understood why she hated the two of them so much. But she was just evil to these girls. It comes across in the movie fairly well, sort of being she's jealous of them. But that's that might be kind of projecting as well. Uh, she mentally abuses the girls. She literally starves them. Uh, forcing them to work around the house while treating the boys like they're little gods. Remember, this this one is based on a true story. <laughs> I'll catch you for that for sure when we get to the end of talking about the movie itself. And the little the girl who's being most abused takes very kindly to the neighbor kid because he's really nice to her, buys her some food, and they hang out. So in a fairly horrifying scene, she paints a scene, paints a painting for him which you see him with at the beginning of the film. And the boy, thinking he can maybe make things better between her and the aunt, brings the painting back and tries to say that Meg painted it for her. And of course, the mom knows that's BS and goes apeshit crazy on her and oddly enough, doesn't destroy the painting or, of course, does nothing mean to the kid. because He's the neighbor boy, I'm assuming, so she knows not to do that. The character is portrayed in the movie. The aunt is one of those people who you hear a lot or you may have known in your life who speak like they know everything, like they're really intelligent. But when they start to explain things, your eyes aren't quite playing with a full deck here. You're not your A to D connections are lacking a B or a C or something in there. Meg tries to get help from a police officer, but one of her sons sees this happening, so he points it back to the aunt, and that's where the film really goes off the rails. <laughs> uh, the mom says, well, I've got to come up with a punishment for you, because this is pretty extreme, so I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm going to think on it for a while. Maybe I'll let the boys come up with the punishment. Starts, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail for this, just so you all know. They start by tying her up and balancing her on books and then taking a book away. So she has to hang more from her wrists. Beyond that, I'm leaving it. <laughs> it, it gets horrifying. It's interesting, though, as a filmmaking thing, because it's like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is easily one of the more uncomfortable films to watch, but has virtually no blood. There is very little... Uh, they 
of course, you know, being stupid teenage boys, strip the woman at one point. But there's very little nudity, direct nudity, and there's very little blood or violence. Although the implied stuff is so ghastly that I'm fine with that. There's a very strange scene where the son is trying to figure out what, or the neighbor boy is trying to figure out what he needs to do to help this girl. Because he's like, you know, 11 or 12 and very confused and trapped in what's going on. So he tries to talk to his dad about whether he's ever hit a woman. And it's a very strange conversation the dad says where it amounts to, no, you should never hit a woman unless she's earned it. Oh. And you're like, well, that's not going to help. <laughs> the ending is substantially fictionalized. The ending to the film has a very different ending than reality. Um, so I'll go ahead and kind of spoil the ending, I guess, just so in case you, you want to watch this. Which you might. It's a well-done film. The acting's incredible. Everything's good. It'll, it took me three segments to get through. I'd watch a little while, then I'm taking a 10-minute break. Come back, watch a little up, another 10-minute break. In the movie, the little the neighbor boy comes out and actually kind of helps her escape and tries to help her escape, and they end up killing the ant. It, it's, it's another happy movie. It's another one of those extreme films. But, uh, and it is horribly uncomfortable. It is so well acted and so well written that it's just uncomfortable to watch. And part of the reason I find really interesting reading through the reviews is very few of the reviews are this is a crap movie. Most of the reviews that say bad things are because of the content, which means the film works. You just can't handle the content, which, good on you. <laughs> That's right. not a bad thing. So the reviews on IMDb range from like 8, 9, 10, 1, 2. <laughs> there are not a lot of 6s or 7s for this one. <laughs> like I said, Jack Ketchum chose to keep himself away a little bit in the word he wrote it. It's a rough book. I've read the book, too. It's an interesting read. It's got the uh, intro to the one I read was written by Stephen King, who said... Uh, talking about how this is a horrifying story. But I recommend if you really want to feel the impact of this this movie or this book, stop reading my intro now. Read the rest of it. Don't read anything about what's going on. Don't read anything. Don't read the back of the book. Nothing. Just read this story and it will devastate you. And it does. Which is, I did exactly what he said. Because I just, it's, oh, new Jack Capture novel. I'll read it. Is the wow. book like a fictionalized version or is it yeah. meant to be true? Okay, They're both fictionalized, but they also have a lot of the truth. Okay. I didn't go into the details of what was true, what they did to her. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of them are in the movie. Like she is scarred and uh, okay. some horrible shit. I, I read the Wikipedia and mm. that messed me up so much. <laughs> I was like, I don't. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. They, there's a weird review to it that, um, one of the reviewers said they tried to make it more palpable to the audience by putting it into the horror cinema. I did not feel this was a horror-based film. Interesting. And it sure as hell did not make it any more fun to watch. It almost sounded like, on paper, like, uh, was it you who did Dead Girl? It was Kelly who did mm -hmm. Dead Girl. It, it sounded like if you just look at the bare plot, like it kind of resembled that except for it's real yeah <laughs> yeah it's a real group of kids and psycho ant mm -hmm. uh 
I kind of like this review, uh, or I kind of find this review amusing and also dickish. <laughs> if there's anything positive in The Girl Next Door, it's the brave performance by uh, Offroth, who is in her early 20s. Other than that, there's little reason to see the movie. Unless, of course, you get off on watching the explo sexual exploitation of underage girls. I'm going to call bullshit on that because that is not done in a sexualized manner. It is not done in a way that the person making the movie wanted you to get off on it. Yeah. It is, there's a, there's some segments of, of that kind of content, but it is done. It's uncomfortable. It's disturbing. It's dark. It's nasty. It is not like some kind of, uh, it doesn't make you want to go and do it or <laughs> enjoy it on it. Yeah. It sounds like that person felt very uncomfortable and upset mm -hmm. and took it out on other viewers exactly yeah, yeah. there's a there, they, and that's what a lot of the reviews are it, they weren't this movie sucks this is horrible poorly made they were all like i can't believe the content of this film <laughs> right the lady the aunt was uh got life in prison for first degree murder her 17 year old daughter who is not portrayed in the film who actually was one of the worst torturers of the young girl uh, got life in prison for secondary murder. Uh, three mar three minors were also arrested, including two of the sons, and each did at least two years in a reformatory school. Let's see. The murder stands as one of the most extreme depraved acts of violence towards child that's ever been committed, that's been recorded. The parole hearing would spark outrage through the state out the state of Indiana where it happened, but not enough to prevent the mother, the aunt's release in 1985, she was released, uh, moved to Iowa, and died of cancer in 1990. Um, most of the people involved have, have died or have managed to disappear themselves. Uh, the house where Sylvia was killed was demolished in 2009 because of what happened there. Uh, it wasn't. A, it just didn't happen to get destroyed and something built. They finally said it's time to de destroy this house, so it's it's gone. Um, there's been a few movies and films and shows about it. Um, this one was a little bit more fictionalized, but oh, really, really a tough watch. Unfortunately, unlike Bloodsport, <laughs> this did happen in a lot of the ways. Although this was obviously fictionalized, so. If you're in the mood for something dark and uncomfortable, Girl Next Door is not a bad choice. But if you're smart, you're going to go, I'm going to consider this one of Eric's five-star movies, and I'll just take this from it, and I ain't going to watch this mother. <laughs> I would go with that advice. <laughs> it feels like if you're the kind of person who really enjoys watching, like, um, not enjoys, but is fascinated by watching serial killer films, where it's like, it's really uncomfortable and hard to watch, yeah. but it's interesting if mm -hmm. it feels like that's a, a more of a parallel to this mood yeah it is a true crime yeah a fictionalized true crime or dramatized yeah. true crime story didn't you say you heard it on a podcast or yeah something? i used to listen to uh my favorite murder oh, when that sure. first started yeah. and this was one of the earlier ones they talked about like episode 20 or something and it was so horrifying. Are you familiar with my favorite murder? I Vanessa? have not heard it. No, it's, it's, it's two. Fun. It's two women who are obvious murder nuts. You know, they just love true crime. <laughs> sure. And they each pick a a murder, a true murder, to tell the other one about. 
And so there's a, they'll tell it, and then the other one is reacting like, oh, my God, no. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's actually quite fun. But this one I remember being really difficult for both of them, the one yeah. telling it and the one listening to it. And the one listening to it is just like, I don't know if I want to hear the rest of this story. Yeah. You know, wow. and it, it was it, it was a, d a tough one to listen to. And then I remembered um, that that the book had been written about that. And then mm -hmm. I think they were talking about it because the movie was coming out or something like that. And everybody involved had basically said, well, I have no interest in reading the book or watching this movie or anything. <laughs> it sounds so awful. Uh, this would be a tough story to listen to if it were fake. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that's why I think that's why it felt to me so much like Dead Girl, because I remember just listening to you talk about that and feeling really uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And this had a very similar feeling to me where I was like, oh, God. Mm -hmm. um, but I, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, because um, originally when I heard about this story, I was like, why would the parents just like peace out yeah. on these girls and leave them with like you know, in the hands of somebody they didn't really know that well. Um, and it's like, they're actually circus performers and they were trying to, or no, they worked at a circus. They, yeah. They were basically, they were traveling. Their job kept them traveling. Around. Yeah. And they, they wanted some stability for their mm -hmm. daughters who weren't really participating in, in like the booth that they were running. So they were like, Oh yeah. And um, the dot, the one of the daughters of this woman was friends with one of the two girls and was like, oh yeah, no, they're, they get along so great. They can just hang out. I will treat them like my own. Just give me some money each week. Yeah. And if the payments were late, which they frequently were because yep. they were traveling, she took it out on the kid. Yeah. The two girls. So yeah. And as far as like, if the girls wanted to contact the parents and like write letters or anything, like the, the woman would like look at the content and ensure, yeah. and I think at one point the parents even visited, but she, the, the woman sat in the room the whole time to kind of ensure that. So I found that kind of really interesting because you always, when you're watching horror films, you're like, just get run out the door or like, just tell somebody. Like, I, I find it interesting. The movie, they actually bring in the police. Yeah. She tried to talk part of the thing that um, I don't remember if I read this being true or not. This, the younger sister was, um, had polio or something. She had braces mm -hmm. on her legs. Yeah. So that was part of the problem in trying to. Yeah. That, that does make escape. a lot of sense. Cause she did have um, problems walking yeah, in real she life. She didn't want to leave yeah. her sister. That also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This wasn't like in small town America, 1950. This was out in the backwoods almost, wasn't it? Well, the book and the movie both have it in more of a suburb style thing. Oh, it, was a, wow. it was a okay. neighborhood. They had neighbors. Yeah. They had wow. very close by because neighbors. Because the neighbors, and... as, especially for the real life one, there was a lot of people who afterwards were like, I did hear a lot of screaming or I did see a girl walking around with an awful lot of bruises. It was very odd. You know, so there were all these people that like came out after. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, you guys. Yeah. See something, say something. Come on. <laughs> Not at that time. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks, Eric. You're welcome. Really bring bringing you all down her. here. Uh, well, I'd like to tell you about a different documentary I saw, Bloodsport Two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's 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 do you again. God, I forgot there was continuing adventures of Frank Dukes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, hey, you. 
Oh, good Lord. Oh, boy. Well, I think uh, <laughs> I don't even want to give you an opportunity to pick another <laughs> subgenre after that bullshit, Eric. But I think that you're next. Yes. Yeah. So we're going a little more mental. Oh. Ooh. ESPN. ESPN. <laughs> Wait, sports, sports movies. movies. ESP <laughs> oh. based. <laughs> it's like I have ESPN or something. Uh, <laughs> ESP based uh, films like uh, Clairvoyance or what's the one in Firestarter called? Pyro... Pyro... Pyrokinesis, which is a made-up word. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But I get For, what you're saying. Yep. People who have mental powers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm picking the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> it's actually about civil war. I'm sorry, civil rights. Civil rights. Jesus, civil rights. <laughs> okay, I like this. I'm on board with this one. Um, all right. Well, thanks to everybody who's listening as usual. Thanks to you two for driving all the way over here and doing this yeah. in person in thanks the sweltering office us. today. I don't know. I'm getting a good tan, you know, I'm going to try and even things out here. So why not? You know, it's only, you know, 75 degrees out there, but we're sitting in front of just about floor to ceiling windows. And so it's about 95 degrees in here right now. <laughs> So, um, so that's it. We'll be back in one week. We're talking about Esper movies, <laughs> right? Esperan. Esperan. Esperanto. All right. See you guys later. Later. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part One by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and wherever find